If you can believe, all things are possible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said, if you can believe, all things are possible. Nothing too hard. No waters he can't part. No mountains he can't move. Mm. Hallelujah. That's enough to get you going right there. You know, when Jesus used that reference of have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. It's a real mountain he's talking about. He's not talking about a paper mountain, a fake mountain. He, he said, you think about how impossible it is for you to move a mountain. But with faith, it can happen. And whatever you've been facing or going through, it seems like you've pushed it and pushed it and pushed it and it's not going anywhere. But if you can believe, that mountain's going to move in Jesus' name. It's going to move. Come on, give him a hand clap and a shout of praise. Tell your neighbor, just believe, just believe. It's going to happen. God's got something good for you in this house today. I'm thankful for our, our music and choir and media and sound. Let's give them a hand this morning. Appreciate them doing a great job. And we don't see them at the 10 o'clock service, but there's a, a great number of, of teachers and helps and volunteers during our Sunday school and kids time at 10 o'clock. Let's give all them a hand this morning. I'm thankful for our Sunday school team, all of our kids ministers and different ones that help out with that, our security team, everybody. It takes everybody, and I'm thankful for each and every one of you today. Thankful for our young men and women who have a call of God on their life, anointed to worship and pray and preach and just minister in the house of the Lord. And um, I'm just honored today to, to bring my soon-to-be son-in-law uh, to the pulpit. Brother Landon, come, come this morning. Let's give him a hand as he comes. He's going to be preaching for us today. We sure are thankful the Lord sent him this way. Praise the Lord, everybody. I said, praise the Lord, everybody. You know, we're Pentecostal. It doesn't work if you don't say it twice. So it is so good to be in the house of the Lord today. If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord, somebody say amen. Amen. If you haven't figured it out yet, I love crowd participation. Amen. It feels good to be home. Uh, Annabeth and I last week were out of town in Ohio doing our premarital counseling with some very close friends of ours and celebrating my home church's 75th anniversary. We had a great time, but it is so good to be back home. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. I'll be reading today from the New International Version. While you're turning there, I just quickly want to say how grateful I am for the opportunity to stand here today before you all, and I would be remiss if that before the next few moments of time we spend together this morning, I didn't give honor where it's due. To our pastor, thank you so much for trusting me to stand behind this pulpit that you pour your heart out over week in and week out. I count it a high honor and a high privilege to stand behind this sacred desk today. I realize the amount of sermons that have gone forth over this desk would be innumerable. The 
spiritual moves of God that we have seen brought forth from this pulpit. But I'm honored here to stand, honored to stand here today. And not only is this your pulpit, but this was Brother Eberhardt's pulpit. And I'm honored to stand behind the pulpit he poured his heart from. Such a tremendous man of God who I wish that I'd had the privilege of knowing. I'm honored to stand here today. And Pastor, I love and appreciate you. I honor you. I give honor to our first lady, our music director. She's the best. We are so blessed at Rack with great music. I love her. I honor you today. To our assistant pastor, Jake, his wife, Duke. My soon-to-be brother-in-law and sister-in-law. I love you both so much. You are awesome. And this is the cool part. For the first time, I've been preaching for just a little while now. But I've never gotten to do this. I would like to give honor today to my fiance, <laughs> Miss Annabeth. She is my best friend. She is my truest friend. She makes me better. And I love her. And I'm honored to build this life and do this life with her. In 97 days, I get to call her my wife. I don't have it on a countdown or anything. Uh, but I love you. And I'm better for knowing you. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley and they were very dry. Verse 3, he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. One translation says, oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and the tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain Come on now. that they may live. And finally, verse number 10 says, so I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army. I've come with an announcement for somebody today. There are some bones in your life that are coming back today. Today is your moment for a miracle. Today is your moment for a breakthrough. If you believe that, put your hands together all across this house for one moment and lift up some praise to the one who deserves it all. God, we love you. God, we praise you. We magnify you today, Jesus. Blessed be your holy name.
Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Kate, if you put my title slide up there for me. I want to preach to you for just a few minutes this morning on the thought, not all dead, just mostly dead. Would you, would you help me for just a few minutes? Like I said, I like crowd participation. Um, so if you would, for just a few moments, and I'll tell you when to open your eyes, but if you would close your eyes for me. And walk with me for just a few moments. I want you to imagine yourself looking out across a vast valley that stretches as far as the eye can see. This valley has high, unclimbable, inescapable walls that appear to reach into the dreary, overcast sky on both sides. You can hear the distant booming of thunder roar through this great valley. And upon further inspection, the walls of this valley are almost black. There's a suffocating stench that does not leave, but rather just sits in this valley. You look and you notice that there is no vegetation. There are no, there's no grass, there's no trees, no bubbling brooks or peaceful rivers flowing through this valley. Just dry, dusty, rocky soil. The only thing that you see is a remnant of what used to be trees that are now dead, decayed, and broken. And as if this were not enough, the valley floor then catches your gaze. You're looking but not quite able to make out what it is that your eyes are seeing. Because there appears to be something that covers the ground. Something that never before in your life have you seen anything like. And after a moment of closely looking, you realize exactly what it is that you're looking at. And all of a sudden, your mind starts racing with questions like, how could this be? How could this happen? Where am I? How did I get here? And what do I do now? The ground you're standing on is not like normal ground. No, in fact, it is ground unlike any ground you've stood on in your life. It is this moment that you realize this is not soil. This is bones that I'm standing on. I'm standing on bones. As far as your eye can see in every direction, no matter where you look, there is nothing but this grotesque sight of what once was that is no more. Only dead, dry bones. And your mind runs, your heart races. Your senses become overloaded. Your emotions are overwhelmed. You are overstimulated by the sight before your eyes. And suddenly in the midst of all of this chaos you hear a voice. But not just any voice. No, this voice is different. In the midst of the somber chaos that's ravaging your mind, this voice asks you a question. But this question is odd. So odd, in fact, that it pulls you out of the trance-like state that you've been stuck in and makes you think, can these bones live? Our first reaction is to say, live. After all, from the looks of it, these bones appear to have been dead for a meaningful period of time. Live. You can open your eyes. How often do we find ourselves in situations like this in our personal lives? 
I don't know about you, but I can look back over my short life of 24 years and remember my valley of bones. I can remember circumstances that were so dead, they looked as if there were never life in them in the first place. I can go to moments right now where I have grieved over these bones that were once hopes. These bones that once were dreams and visions and goals and aspirations. I can walk you through moments where my tears stained the carpet. The nights where I didn't sleep. The internal struggle to just look like I'm okay so that I can walk into church and nobody would know that I am dying on the inside. That I'm drowning in my pain. And we can get so transfixed on what was or what was supposed to be or what should have been. And it can be so overwhelming at times standing in our own personal valley of bones looking around and seeing everything that we held dear now desolate and dry. Yet he asks, can these bones live? But that question is striking. It requires you to think and it demands consideration. Can they? I love the way Ezekiel answered. Like I said earlier, he said, oh Lord God, you alone know. And I've been there more times than I could possibly count. More times than I could tell you of. I've, I've been in these places. I've been in these hard places. These places filled with pain and dysfunction. I've been in the moments where I've come to the end of my rope. Moments where I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Moments where I've tried everything else and nothing has worked. Moments where I put on those rose-colored glasses and all I got was a headache. So when confronted with the question of, can these bones live? I simply have to respond with, oh Lord God, only you know. We find that when Ezekiel was asked this question, God said to him, prophesy. And to our human brains, at least to mine, this would seem counterintuitive. Because after all, these bones are not just dead, they are dead, dry bones. The process of a bone becoming dry is not a quick process. In fact, it's quite arduous. It takes years upon years, massive amounts of time for a bone to become dry and brittle. And if we are not careful, when God presents us with this great opportunity, we can get into our own heads and say things like, this is useless. What's the point? This is a waste of my time. This has been dead longer than I can remember. But I have come with an announcement this morning. If God said prophesy, you had better prophesy. And if He said prophesy, you had better prepare yourself because something is about to happen. It does not matter how dry your valley is. It does not matter how dead those bones are. It does not matter the situation you face, all that matters is the one who holds all power in His hand stands beside you. All you have to do is speak it. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I'm not talking this morning about some name it and claim it gospel. That is not what this is. 
This is not a give me something free card to play. But this is an audience with the God of heaven and earth. This is a moment of resurrection. This is a moment of destiny. The power of life and death is in your tongue. You just have to speak in faith. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. You have an audience with the King. But Landon, you don't, you don't understand. You don't know my story. You don't know what, what I've dealt with. You don't know my life experience or my situation. And you know what? You're right. There are stories in this room I have no clue of. There are things you have walked through that I am completely unaware of. And allow me to be perfectly clear this morning. I am not minimizing one ounce of anything you've dealt with. I am not minimizing the pain or the emotions that you have dealt with. I am so proud of every person who has clawed themselves in enough to be at this church this morning in spite of the hell you had to crawl through. I am simply here today to tell somebody you do not have to stay stuck where you are. Because freedom is in this room right now. Victory is in this room right now. Miracles, signs, and wonders are in this place right now. And it's yours for the taking, but you have to prophesy, son of man. But it can be hard in the middle of situations to have enough strength to even lift your eyes high enough to see onto the horizon where your miracle is coming from. And it's easy if we can, we can read things like Ezekiel 37. It's, it's one of the prophetic books of the Old Testament. Very heavy in imagery. It's the reason why I love Ezekiel's writing so much. is He is so vivid in his descriptions. But if we're not careful, we can put ourselves into the text and read it like a narrative of our own life. So if you would allow me for just a moment. I promise I'm not taking anything out of context. I'm just trying to make a point. Cade, put Ezekiel 37.2 on the screen for me. Now I'm going to read this to you as a narrative. Just follow along on the screens. I found myself again in the graveyard that holds the remains of what I thought was going to be, but never was. Everywhere I look, I see bones. Bones of my dreams. Bones of my hopes. Bones of my desires. I see the bones of promises that I thought God had made to me at an altar. The bones I thought of promises I thought God had made to me in, in that private moment in my prayer closet. And now they lie dead in the dust is nothing more than a dry, decayed reminder of what never happened. Verse 3. As I was standing... In this mass grave, consumed by my thoughts, my memories, and tears, I heard a voice. This voice asked me if these dead things could live again. How do I even answer that? I've lived in this grave longer than I can remember, and I've not seen one sign of life. I've come to my wit's end. 
I don't know what else to do. I've tried everything. Nothing's worked. So I replied and I said, only you know. Verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Prophesy? Really? To dry bones? To dry situations? Well, I've tried everything else. So why not? What should I say? He replied in verse 5. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. And you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you. Verse 6. And make flesh come upon you. And cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you. And you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 7. I don't know if this is going to work. But I'm willing to give it a shot. So. I prophesied. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something began to happen. There was this this noise that I'd never heard before. It sounded like a rattle. What was once thunder ripping through the valley now sounded like a rattle. And I looked around me and I lost my breath for a moment. I was speechless at what my eyes were seeing. Because these bones that I've stood in the middle of for years that were dead, were no longer still. They appeared to have some sort of life within them. I couldn't believe my eyes. The bones, they they started to move, pulling themselves to each other and going into their right place. Verse 8. Then as if that were not enough, I watched as these bones that I have stared at for years start to be covered with tendons and muscle fiber and flesh and they were covered with skin and starting to resemble what I once so long ago remembered them looking like but then in the midst of my excitement I thought everything was going to change the harsh reality rips me back into my current state there's no breath in them they might look alive but they are still dead and just when I thought everything was changing now I've got to mourn this thing all over Again, verse 9, however, it was at that moment that I heard a voice, the same one who spoke to me in the first place say, prophesy. It worked the first time. So, verse number 10, I prophesied. And the moment I did, I watched as breath entered into those bodies. And they stood up before my very eyes. I was no longer surrounded by death, but that which was dead now lived again. What is the point that I'm trying to make? I'm trying to let somebody know that it does not matter how dead your situation looks. It does not matter how dead it's appeared with one faithful word. God is able to bring life back into that which was dead. It takes one word, one moment, and those bones are going to start rattling. Those bones that were dead are going to start moving. Those bones that were dry and scattered in every direction are going to start finding their way back to where they're supposed to be. Here's a question this morning, and I mean this with all due respect. If it's already dead, what do you have to lose? 
you might as well prophesy. You might as well speak to that mountain and say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. You might as well speak to your doctor's report, to your financial situation, your hopes, your dreams, your family crisis, your depression, your anxiety, your fear, your stress. I am preaching this morning to some people that are holding on to a promise but have yet to see the completion of that promise. And let me tell you, if that's you this morning, God has not forgotten you. He has not left you. Don't you give up. Those bones are going to live again. You just have got to prophesy. If I'm helping somebody say, Amen. You have just got to speak it. You have just got to have enough faith. The size of a mustard seed is enough and everything changes. You can be confident this morning. If God gave you a promise, He will keep His promise. Paul said to the Philippian church in Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But Landon, you don't understand. You don't get it. I know that God can do it for other people. I've seen Him do it for other people. He just never does it for me. I've lived with this unfulfilled promise for months and years and and decades. I've I've carried this thing in my arms, the corpse of what I thought was going to be I know He can. I just don't think He will. I have this promise that's been with me longer than I can remember, but death got to my promise before I did. Well, I know someone else who had a promise. A man who did everything right. A man who dedicated his entire life to this thing. His entire life dedicated to God. He was a man of faith. His name was Elisha. Elisha was a powerful prophet in the Old Testament. A mighty man of God. He saw the miraculous often. He was raised around it. He was used in it. Miracles were the foundation of who he was and the foundation of his life. And when his mentor, the prophet Elijah, was about to be taken into heaven, Elijah asked, Elisha, what do you want? What do you desire before I go? Look at 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9-14 through 14 with me. Verse 9 says, And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing, Elisha. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken, it will be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Here's a side note. If you want to be blessed, stay close to your pastor. You cannot be anointed without the covering of that man. If you want a mantle, you have got to stay close to your pastor. That one's free. Verse 11 says, Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with 
horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up into heaven by a whirlwind. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Verse 13, he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And verse 14, then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over on dry ground. It was the moment that Elisha picked up the mantle of the prophet, of his pastor. It was that moment when he received his double portion. And if you study the life of Elijah out, you'll find 16 miracles. Now, I'm no mathematician, but it would seem to me that 16 times 2 equals 32. Study Elisha's life. Track his ministry. And at the time of his death, you'll find 31 miracles performed. To me, that doesn't add up. One promise shy of God's will and his promise being fulfilled in Elisha's life. That is until 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Verse 20 says, Then Elisha died. Babe, would you come up here? Verse 20 says, Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands of Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, watch this, he revived and stood on his feet. Elisha spent his entire life with a promise. A promise of a double portion of anointing. A double portion of miracles, signs, and wonders. A double portion of everything his predecessor Elijah had. But he died one miracle short of seeing that promise fulfilled. And for anyone who does not know the rest of the story, it would be easy to stop right here and say, God's a liar. He made a promise and he didn't keep his end of the deal. Because how could God fulfill a promise to a dead man? But perhaps, just maybe, the point was not fulfilling a promise to a dead man, but rather fulfilling a promise through a dead man. I've come to tell somebody today, no matter what your situation looks like, if God made you a promise, you can take it to the bank because He writes good checks. When God makes you a promise, not even death can stop it. When God is in the equation, everything changes. I don't know what you walked in here with today. I don't know your trial. I don't know your circumstance or situation. But what I do know and who I know is the one that controls it all. Now you may be wondering why 
I have my beautiful fiance standing up here with me. Beyond the fact she just makes me look good, and I like standing next to her. This is a powerful young lady with an anointing on her life. I was in Jake's office preparing for the sermon before the service today, and through the wall just a little bit, I could hear her teaching, and I could hear the laughter, and I could hear the oohs and the ahs, and she is just, she is amazing. She's anointed. She has an audience with God. But beyond that, she is a prime example of what I'm talking about today. And I want her for the next few minutes to share her testimony of what God just did in her life with you. Praise the Lord, church. Um, I did not take this opportunity lightly either. So a lot of you know, I'm not going to take a lot of time, but a lot of you know for the, the past few months, pretty much since January, um, my health has just gone downhill. Um, I'm not going to get into details, but there was a lot happening um, that we were very, very concerned about. It was one thing after another, and I just didn't know what to do. Um, it, was, it was to the point to where it affected what I was eating. I was losing weight rapidly, um, and there was just a lot happening. I was very confused and very concerned. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had prayed and prayed and my family had prayed. And, and I had asked God so many times, like, Lord, what in the world is going on? Um, but he told me. He let me know. Hold tight. So um, on the 22nd of this past month, um, I went for just a regular checkup at the doctor's office, just going to see what was going on, you know. Um, and I wasn't going in for anything specific. It was just a regular checkup. And my doctor, she was, you know, doing her thing. She's checking me out. And uh, we got to a point to where she was doing a chest examination. And she kept, I'm probably going to cry. She kept going back to the same spot on the left side of my chest. And it was really painful. It was really tender. And I had noticed it. I just didn't want to say anything about it because I was like, if you know me and Brittany, we always say, if you ignore it, it'll go away. <laughs> um, and so that's exactly what I was trying to do. I didn't even want to pray about it because I didn't want to acknowledge that it was there. Um, like I said, it was really painful, really tender. And I had also noticed about a week before that that I started having some issues taking in deep breaths. I was Every time I... Like that, I would almost start coughing and wheezing and have like this pain on, on the left side of my chest. I didn't know what it was. Once again, ignoring it. Lord God, thou knowest. Um, and it was, it was intense. So she told me as she did this exam, she took a really long time on it and had a couple of other doctors come in and feel out what she was feeling. And they pushed and pushed and pushed on that area so much that it had turned into a very, very nasty, just green, purple, yellow colored bruise that covered almost half of my chest. Um, super painful, couldn't pick stuff up, couldn't lift my arms. And she told me, she said, Annabeth, she said, all of your labs that I'm seeing right now, she said, your body has no nutrients. She said, I don't know how you're walking. She said, there, there's nothing in your body. She said, and whatever this is, she said, it's it's hurting you. 
She said, I can listen to your breathing and I can tell whatever this mass is, it has wedged itself between your ribs and it is poking into your lung. How scary is that? <laughs> so um, I'm sitting there trying to be logical and I was like, okay, so what do we do? And so she tells me that I need to go to the Breast Cancer Center in Athens, Athens Regional, Piedmont. And nobody likes to hear that, uh, much less a 24-year-old that's trying to get married and live life. So logically, I was like, cool, we're going to do it. We're going to go. We're going to get this done. It's going to be fine. I'm not worried about it. No big deal. But as the day progressed, I could feel that fear creeping in like no other. And I've been afraid. And I've been in dark places. And I feel like I've pretty much physically fist fought the devil. But there is no fear greater than thinking that your life is going to end at 24. Not by your own hand, but just by life. And um, so, of course, I panicked. <laughs> I'm not going to say I didn't. I'm going to be real with you. I panicked. And I called Brittany. I was like, best friend, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And I told her what was going on. And she told me, she said, you know, Beth, she said, shout out to her for being logical. She's my left brain. She said, you know, Beth, we've been praying that we would see signs, miracles, and wonders at church. And if you've been to any of these prayer meetings and any of these services lately, you know that God is about to bust open the floodgates. <laughs> and I just took it. I said, Brittany, you're right. She said, if we've been praying for these things, Beth, something has to happen for there to be a miracle. And I said... When I sang the song, Lord, if you can use anything, you can use me. I did not mean like this. This is not what I meant. <laughs> so be careful what you wish for. Um, and Brittany told me, she said, just hold on. It's going to be okay. He said, yes, ma'am. So Landon gets back in the car after he went and bought me crumble because he loves me. And I was struggling. He bought me cookies. So um, then I, I called my in-laws and I told them what was going on. They prayed for me in the car and I was thankful. I got the Monday night prayer, and I was a hot mess express, okay? I mean, I could not hold myself together. I was praying and crying, and I felt the hands of so many of you on my back and on my shoulders and on my head. I can't thank y'all enough. I love y'all. And I just knew in that moment, I said, God, I just feel like there's only two ways that you can heal me. I didn't, I couldn't even see the miraculous at that moment. I said, God, I'm either going to have cancer and I'm going to go through chemo at 24 years old and I'm not going to get married or you're going to send the healing through heaven and I'll see you soon. That is where my brain was and I could not handle it. And then in that time, in that moment, I had three different confirmations. One from the Lord himself, he spoke to me. One from Sister Angela who just confirmed exactly what God had spoken to me. And one from Sister Sade that confirmed the other two. And God told me, this is for his glory and it's going to be an example. So I said, Lord, whatever kind of example it's going to be, I'm holding on. And it's going to be okay. So um, we proceeded, you know, with life and plans and everything. And we go to Ohio that weekend. So that was on Monday and on Friday morning, um, we left for Ohio, and we got to um, the Bounds house, Aaron and Cindy Bounds. They are wonderful, wonderful people, faith-filled, amazing people. Um, 
And I was there and I finally told him what was going on because I had had just the worst afternoon. And I was struggling so bad and I was so afraid and it felt like the enemy was just in my head talking to me and I was so sick of it. So I told them what was going on. And I mean, right then, without without even a doubt, Pastor Bounds laid his hands on my head and he rebuked infirmity and sickness and he prayed for me and faith moved in that room. And I was so thankful and I knew that it was going to be okay. So then Sunday comes around and his, his dad, Bishop Bounds, he comes and he just tells me in the altar, he said, sis, I'm going to pray for you. I said, yes, sir. He had no idea what was going on. I mean, none. I hadn't said a word to him. I had just met him. And he tells me while he's praying for me, he prays specifically about what is happening, speaks to it, speaks death to it, and then proceeds with faith. And he told Landon in that moment, he said, I feel faith. I said, amen. So then that night, we went to the anniversary services and Pastor Bounce we were, we were praying and God was moving and that message was phenomenal and he felt a shift in the spirit and he said there needs to be a call for healing. If you need healing in this place, you need to come down front and get prayer. Y'all know me. I'm just going to lay hands on everybody else. <laughs> um, and I, first of all, he was death staring me from the platform like, you better go. You better go. And uh, Pastor Brown's knew, so I knew if I didn't, he was going to drag me down there. So I stepped down and I got prayer, and the first time we prayed, I felt a shift, and I felt a shift in faith, and I felt empowered, and I felt the authority over what was happening, and I was thankful, and then the second time we prayed, I felt like, almost like I had been to the chiropractor, and like my ribs had been cracked, you know, if you've ever been to the chiropractor, they like take a breath in, and then when you let it out, they push in the middle of your back, and it just pops your ribs, Felt like my ribs had popped. I don't just feel that on a daily basis. I didn't. I was like, all right, Lord. Lord God, thou knowest. And so I I just held on to it. And I said, Lord, I'm believing this is a promise. I'm holding on to it. And I felt better. And the, the pain had subsided. And I was so thankful. So then I knew that that coming Tuesday, so that was Sunday. Monday, we, we were coming home. And I had different things going on. And then on Tuesday, I had my ultrasound and mammogram and all these other things that I was going to have to have done Tuesday morning. So mom, dad, and Landon came with me. Um, and I walked in, and I, when I got up that morning, let me, let me put this this way. I got up that morning, and when I was getting ready, I'm not trying to, trying to be any kind of way. When I was getting ready, I could see the bruise, and I could see the, the physical mass sticking out of the side of my chest it was sticking out three centimeters from the side it was ugly and I saw it and I said Lord I don't know how you're going to do it but you're going to work a miracle today put my clothes on got in the car prayed in my brain all the way there get out of the car go to the waiting room praying in the waiting room it was the longest wait of my life I'm not going to lie I think it was really only like five minutes but it felt like five hours Um, She calls me back, do some paperwork, takes me to the second waiting room. In the second waiting room, they have little changing rooms that you can go to and put on a robe. So you take everything from the hips up off, you put this little robe on. So while I'm putting this robe on, I look in the mirror that's in there and I see it again. 
And I really, I was expecting, I was like, man, Lord, I was hoping that I was just going to take all this off and see this. It was going to be gone. I was going to walk out. I wasn't even going to go in. <laughs> I was just going to receive the healing. And I saw it, and it was there staring me in the face. It, looked, it felt like death was staring me in the face. And put that robe on, and I prayed, and I said, God, you know, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to work a miracle. So as soon as I walked out of the little waiting room, I mean, like, I walked out of the door, and the girl was standing right there. She was like, I'm going to go ahead and take you back and get you started on your first ultrasound. I said, yes, ma'am. So we're going back, and I mean, I'm telling you, it was a walk from here probably to the end of the aisle from that changing room to the table that I was going to be laying on. So she asked me a couple of questions, and about three minutes into that, she says, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and untie your rope, and we're going to get started with this ultrasound. After the ultrasounds are done, we'll do a mammogram, she said, and after that, we'll proceed with talking about what we need to do. She said, there are chemo specialists here, there are people here, all this kind of stuff. And she, I mean, she was scaring me. I was like, girl, we haven't even got the ultrasound done yet. Like, calm down. Um, but, I mean, my, my doctor's notes that she had sent over was was high percentage of this, this is breast cancer. So, um, she unties my robe and we're about to get started with this ultrasound. And I just looked down, you know, to see what she's about to do. And when I looked, there was no bruise. And that bruise that had covered, I mean, from all the way across that hurt and was so sore and so tender, that bruise was completely gone, and I couldn't see the mass sticking out of my chest. And so I just started laughing and crying, okay? I mean, she thought I was crazy, but I'm sitting there squalling. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And she was like, honey, are you okay? I said, I am better than good. And she asked me, she said, well, she said, I'm looking at your doctor's notes, and there should be some stuff here. She said, can you point out where this is? And I said, it was right here. Keyword was. I said, it's not there. And so I was feeling around trying to find it, and I couldn't find it. And she told me, she said, well, I'm going to do this ultrasound. So she starts with the ultrasound. I mean, she took seconds. And she said, um, she said well, this is going to be a quick visit. I'm going to go get the doctor. I said, yes, ma'am, you go right on ahead. So while she's getting the doctor, I'm up beside this little table shouting, just shouting and praising God because I knew, I knew I had been healed. And so within that time, she went to get the doctor. And doctors, thinking analytical, you know, I mean, he's a doctor. He's into medicine. He knows. He's like, there's no way this thing is gone. Where'd it go? So he walks in. He's looking at my chart. He makes me recite my name, my address, my social security number, my birthday, all this stuff to check. And he said, can you tell me where it was? And I told him, I said, I know what Dr. Kate's note says. I know what they say. It says I should be bruised. It says I should this should be protruding three centimeters from my chest. It should be in my lungs. I know what it says. I said, but doctor, I'm telling you, it's not here. Well, he had the audacity to say, well, I'll be the one to determine that. I said, well, I know the one who already did. And I'm telling you, he did a scan and he scanned, I mean, he scanned both sides of my chest because he was not convinced. He was not convinced that it wasn't there. So he scanned, I mean, every centimeter of my chest over and over again, listened to my lungs multiple times. And I'm telling you, he looked at me and he said, I don't know what your doctor saw. He said, but it's not there. 
So then he proceeds to say, I don't know who you're praying to, but it's working. And I said, yes, sir, it is. So I go in the waiting room and I told all those ladies in there, I said, I'm praying for y'all. God can do it. He can make a way. And then my doctor calls me with my labs and she said, this will be no surprise to you as of yesterday. She said, but all your levels are up and they're normal. She said, your nutrition is up. Your iron's not low. Your blood work is fine. There's nothing wrong with you. So if you think that your life and your sickness and your dreams is a valley of dry bones, I dare you today to speak to it. Because if he did it for me, I know he'll do it for you. I know that he'll come through for you. Come on, somebody. Everything that you need is in this room right now. Everything that you have need of, God can perform it for you in this place. This is the altar call. I don't have anything else to preach to you. If you walked in with a situation today, and there is no other way out of it than for God to do a miracle. Right now is your moment. If you have gotten a report from the doctor, I challenge you to come to this altar right now. If there are financial crises in your family, if you are suffering from depression or anxiety, I'm challenging you to take one step forward, one step in faith, and everything can change. Those bones that seem dead are coming back to life right now.